Numbers chapter 12 this evening. Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, Numbers chapter 12 this evening. Well, Moses has got himself quite a congregation, doesn't he? It's a large congregation, so it would be a handful no matter what. Two to three million people, even on their best behavior. But he has a group that doesn't seem that concerned about being on their best behavior for the most part. And one of the problems is, is they have a, a terrible tendency toward complaining. You ever been around just one complainer? Oh, my, where are you out? Get two or three of them together, and, and you'll begin to believe there's a purgatory, uh, <laughs> even though that there isn't. But I mean, I mean, imagine so many, and just complaining, and they've already complained once at the edge of the camp, you know, and God has kind of smote that, that group of people in order to silence that complaining, and then the mixed multitude in the last chapter, they started to complain. They wanted the meat of Egypt and the garlic and the onions and the leeks, and then pretty soon the people that really aren't super complainers on their own are drawn into it, and God says, all right, I'll give you meat, and Moses is trying to quit every way he can. <laughs> I mean, calling on God to kill him, that's a pretty uh, definite resignation from the ministry. So, I mean, and it's not like this is something on the pages where we say, wow, he's really in a tough spot. He wanted God to kill him. I mean, he's, he's really done with leading this, this group of people, and they're complaining and, and all, and... God finally says, you want meat, I'll give you meat. And he, and he gave it to him, but he gave it with a judgment that is, is due the complainers in order to, to remove their influence from among God's people. And you think, all right, Moses is finally going to get some rest. And then we pick it up in chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now this is probably the most serious thing that's occurred so far. Uh, this is a very, very serious and um, uh, very deep rebellion that Miriam and uh, Aaron are going to attempt to lead against Moses. Important to know who they are. Miriam was Moses' older sister. So this starts to come from the family. Sometimes family feels like they can um, uh, criticize those that God has called simply because they're family. And they're going to find out they don't, uh, you don't get to do that just because you're family. And so Miriam, you remember all the way back, even when Moses was born, she's already several years old. And when Moses' mom put her there into the, put Moses into the Nile River and the basket, the uh, woven basket uh, with a tar on it and all, and, uh, and Miriam follows where it landed and then uh, made arrangements for Moses' mother to become the one that would suckle and, and uh, raise Moses in, in the, on behalf of, of Pharaoh's daughter. Now Aaron, he is, he is Moses' older brother, so they speak against him, they unite together, speak against Moses, and they start this complaining campaign and a rebellion against him. Now this is a very, very serious thing that they're doing here, uh, and one of the reasons it's so serious 
and especially dangerous is because of their position among God's people. These weren't just kind of anybody among the three million. They were leaders among the three million. Uh, They were a man and they were a woman that God had uh, given them great gifting in their life, uh, given them great calling on their life. God had used them in a very powerful way among God's people. So God's people had a history with them. And whenever you have a, a person who the body of Christ or whoever it is God's people looks at them and say, that's a very gifted person, that's a very anointed person, that's a person that we have seen God use over and over again. When that kind of a person rises up to start a rebellion, that's the most dangerous one of all. If you get two or three or four or five of them together, it's just super big trouble. And if they're family, it's even more heartbreaking. So this is a very, very heartbreaking uh, series of events that happens here for uh, Moses. Miriam was a prophetess uh, following the uh, exodus out of Egypt. Uh, Remember when they had crossed uh, the Red Sea on dry land and then uh, Pharaoh's army was swallowed up uh, by, uh, by the sea and all. It was Miriam who grabbed a timbrel, brought all of the women together, and, and she began to sing this song of victory. So God really anointed her, blessed her. She evidently also had a gift of prophecy that operated through her life. Aaron, now you talk about a, a position among the children of Israel. I mean, nobody had a higher position among them other than Moses himself. Aaron was the high priest of the whole nation. He was like the spiritual giant uh, among uh, among the nation, the children of, of Israel. And, and so here is Aaron. These two, they unite together. And really, it's, it's very sad. For Aaron to challenge Moses' authority in the light of his, uh, how shall we say, very significant failure on his own part with the golden calf and the grace that God extended uh, to him to allow him to continue as the high priest and all. I mean, his, his joining in a rebellion against Moses is, is really stunning. It's also weird because it wasn't like Miriam and Aaron didn't have significant ministries of their own or significant uh, positions in, uh, among God's people on their own. Highly, greatly used by God, highly regarded by God's, uh, by God's people. And yet... They wanted Moses' position. The Bible warns in the New Testament in leaders, warns them against selfish ambition. Where there's a discontent with my calling, a discontent with my gifting, and I want the calling and the gifting and the position of that man or that woman. And there's a certain kind of person who is willing to tear the entire body of Christ in half in order to gain that position. That's how selfish they are and how ambitious they are. Now Moses is completely set up for this. I mean, it blindsides him because he doesn't expect it. You know why he doesn't expect it? It's not in him. It's not in him. He has no selfish ambition. He has been trying to get out of this calling since the burning bush. So he doesn't have a selfish, ambitious bone in his body. You realize most pastors I know, and most of the pastors I know are Calvary pastors, but not all the pastors I know, most pastors I know 
they're looking for a loophole in their contract. They'd like to get out. <laughs> they're not selfishly ambitious and trying to become the grand poobah of, of whatever. And, but there are people that are like, they're like this. And, uh, and so they begrudged Moses his position. And, uh, and so this, is a, this rebellion among God's people, led by people that have been used by God, very, very instrumental and, and, and being a, an influence for good in God's people, very dangerous. It would appear that uh, as I uh, look at the situation, I think that it appears that they might feel freer to criticize Moses because they are family. But as I said earlier, they're going to learn and going to learn very, very quickly that being family doesn't give you the right to jeopardize God's calling and his work through another family member. Now, it is interesting, too, in this, that the passage seems to strongly hint that Miriam is the leader of this rebellion, the older sister. One of the reasons is, is that the verb that's used uh, there in verse 1 is a feminine verb. So speaking about her, uh, speaking here. Also, significantly, especially in that culture, when the sister and the brother are listed, Miriam is listed first and Aaron is listed second. Now, it's a very patriarchal society. Almost always the men would be listed first and then the woman. But she's listed first and, and then Aaron is listed second. And also in verse 10, when it comes time for God to judge Miriam and to judge Aaron, he brings the harshest judgment down on Miriam and making her a leper. Looks like Aaron is falling into kind of a characteristic, uh, and it's a real weakness in his uh, life as a leader, and that is that tendency to follow stronger voices uh, and stronger personalities that are, uh, you know, demanding uh, uh, to go in a direction that is wrong. And he, he kind of doesn't, doesn't seem to have that willingness to stand up and, and stop the sinful actions of other people. It seems to be a, a difficulty uh, for him. We also um, learn, I think, in this passage that everybody needs to be careful of this thing called complaining. And uh, no one needs to be more careful of it than leaders. Now, they attack him there in verse 1 uh, on the basis, for, they, they attack him on a couple of uh, fronts. And uh, it's a very, very clever attack that they bring against Moses here. They attack him, first of all, as a person. They attack him based upon his personal life. They speak against him because he'd married an Ethiopian woman. Now, uh, Ethiopia back in those days wasn't known as Ethiopia. It was known as Cush. That was the ancient name uh, for Ethiopia. So he, he married a woman from, uh, from Cush. So they speak against him about who it is that he's married. Now, in Christian circles, it would be the equivalent of people attacking the pastor because of his wife, or the wife doesn't measure up to her, their standards in, in some kind of way. And that goes on all the time. Not here, thankfully so. Not in my ear, hearing. Thank you. And uh, so, um, but that kind of stuff, you hear rumors of it going on in, in churches, and that's a, that's a sad thing if that is the case. Now, the problem with their position and their complaint that they bring against Moses here is that it's one of personal pre uh, preference, and it's one of prejudice on their part. Moses had complete liberty under the law of Moses to marry an Ethiopian woman. 
Now when they go into the land and they possess the land of Canaan, then they will be forbidden to marry an outsider. But up to this point, he had complete liberty to marry uh, a woman uh, from Cush. And so their complaint has no biblical validity to it. It's none of their business who Moses marries or who he doesn't marry. And uh, the private personal decisions of leaders, that's nobody else's business as long as those decisions are not unbiblical, unethical, or immoral. They're free to listen to the Lord and do what they think the Lord is telling them uh, to do. So here is this you know, painful attack now, not only against Moses, but against his wife. Now, there is some debate about who this Ethiopian woman was. There are some people, uh, we, we know from earlier in, in uh, the Bible that Moses' wife was named Zipporah, and we know that she was a Midianite. So some people feel like, well... Um, Zipporah died somewhere along the line here, and so Moses remarried, and as uh, sometimes can be the case with a, a second wife, she's not fitting into the family so well. And uh, so uh, Miriam and Aaron are, are struggling with it. I don't personally tend to, to believe that, uh, because there's no record in the Bible of Zipporah dying or anything uh, like that. Uh, I think it's referring to Zipporah and uh, because Midian and Cush, uh, the Cushites, those, two, those are two areas of the Middle East that are very, very near one another. They're separated by a body of water, but there was, uh, in those days, a great exchange of population between Ethiopia and uh, uh, the Midianites. And so she could have very well been uh, a... Uh, a Cushite, an Ethiopian, uh, in terms of her distant heritage, and then she comes into the region of Midia, or her family uh, father moves them to uh, where the Midianites are, and so she is a Midianite, but she comes from uh, Ethiopia. And uh, Habakkuk, he speaks of it in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 7, and he speaks of the tents of Cushan and the land, uh, uh, and the land of Midian, all in the same sentence. Uh, in other words, there was a recognition, there was quite an intermingling between uh, the two groups. Then in verse 2, they, they, see, they, they start their second attack upon him, the first one personal, and the second one has to do with him as a leader. And so they said, has the Lord uh, in Indeed, spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So they don't accuse him of any, again, anything unbiblical that he's done, anything immoral that he's done, anything unethical uh, that, that he's done. They can't even accuse him of incompetence. Their complaint is hey, wait a minute. God only talked to him? What about us? We're as good as he is. Who does he think he is making all these decisions and heading up on mountains and getting laws and doing all these? He's hogging all of the action, you know. And uh, so they, they're desiring an equal voice as, as Moses here and equal authority. So they're challenging it. They're, they're envious. They're proud, selfishly ambitious. They resent the position that God has given Moses. They resent that it's given to him. How could God call him? I changed that boy's diapers. I'm telling you, he's no deliverer. Jealousy and envy in high places. And what they fail to understand, and this is very important, they fail to understand is that 
all of God's people in his eyes were all equal. Intrinsically in terms of our value and how he looks. He doesn't value this person more than this person or this. He doesn't have any favorites. I mean, I'd like to tell you that when he pulls his wallet out and there's ten slots there, they're all filled with my picture. I mean, it could be, could be. Maybe we could all believe that about ourselves. <laughs> the Church of God's Wallet, 4300 American Avenue. We'll start a new denomination. But he, he loves all of his children. So his love for his children, though, and authority among his children, those are two entirely different things. And that's what they don't understand. God didn't give Moses this authority and this kind of influence among his people because he thought Moses was any better. But somebody had to lead. And he called him. And not only did he call him, but then he gave him the gifts and everything that was necessary in order to be successful in, in that calling. So they, they don't understand this whole issue uh, of, of calling and, and authority. And, and so this is, God chooses to give some people great authority than he gives uh, others. And they're going to discover uh, very, very quickly that Moses' authority was God-given. <laughs> when, they, when they accuse Moses of being a power-hungry man, I mean, they're just absolutely don't know what they're talking about again as I said he, he, he just the chapter before he's trying to, he's trying to you know, exercise an early retirement policy related to things now here's, here's, the, here's the deal it is a, only Moses and what about us also we can speak as good we can hear God as good as anybody else and, all. and then here's what they didn't realize about their whisper campaign the Lord heard it Ooh. he hears everything he hears everything. And he happens to know, let me tell you something, and, and again, I want to be careful here because I don't want it to be self-serving. It's not just about me, it's about most of you in this room, and I'll say it about any leader in the body of Christ that's trying to make a difference for the Lord in this world. They pay a private price to be faithful to that calling that no one else will ever know. Doesn't make them better, doesn't mean it's a greater price than other people pay. But God will make them pay a price to be faithful to their calling and to keep them humble while He uses them and these kinds of things. And God knew privately what this man was. He knew what was Moses was going through, the weight of all of this, how crushed he was, the struggles he was having, even with God, the help that he needed, and wanting to quit and all. He knew things that nobody else knew. And God listens to this private thing going on related to this man, and God knows how to protect his his servants, and that's exactly what he's going to do. Now notice the description of Moses here in verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And I believe it. He's right in the Bible, but you read the account and it's true. And what God is saying here in verse 3 concerning Miriam and Aaron is, you guys are so... He wouldn't probably say, so... But you are so barking up the wrong tree with this guy. 
I mean, if this guy was a power-hungry, you know, crazy person wanting power, don't you just remember the chapter before when Eldad and Medad began to prophesy in the camp and Joshua comes and says, don't let them do it, you know, it's gonna, they're going to think that you don't have all the power and they're gonna, it's going to be a threat to your authority. And Moses said, I wish they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It's, he, he wasn't, uh, again, in a, this kind of ambitious, power-hungry uh, kind of, of person. And God lets us know these people have completely misunderstood their own brother. Because there are things that happen between an individual and God that even the family doesn't know anything about. So God confronts them with this in verse 7. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam... And I don't know how much Moses knows about what's going on on here, but the Lord just says to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, "Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting." Right, you know, right in God's presence. And so the three came out. Now, if, if you're leading a, a, a a revolt against God's leader, and you don't have biblical reasons for it, moral reasons, or ethical reasons. And God tells you to come out to the tabernacle. It's not going to go good for you. <laughs> so the three came out. And then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. Came down in the fullness of his presence. And he stood in the door of the tabernacle. And then it gets worse. Now he calls Miriam and uh, Aaron and Miriam away from Moses. And they both went forward. So he, he calls them out. This is really interesting, and this is another thing. Not only in serving the Lord, but it certainly has uh, probably primary application related to that, but even in our lives as Christians. One of the things that Moses does here when, he starts to ha- when this thing starts to happen against him, and I, don't, I, hope, I, I hope none of you have never been in the middle of a church that gets torn in half by a Miriam and an Aaron. And if you have been, and you've watched people strive for power, and people be scattered all over the city, and a third of them never wanting to step into church again, you realize how serious this is. Now what Moses does here is interesting. He leaves his defense completely to the Lord. He doesn't... If He can't win as a leader... If he jumps up and says, oh yeah, well God has called me and this, and then they, they said, that confirms our suspicions. He's a power-hungry maniac. The pastor or the leader can't win by jumping into the debate at that point. Because nobody's thinking reasonably at that point in time, and it's all just going to get twisted against them. So that person has to do just what Moses did here, even in our Christian life, and that is to say, Lord, if there's something I can clarify with a few facts, I'll be happy to do that. If you lead me by your Spirit to do that, but I'm not going to enter into the game of trying to defend myself. I leave my defense to you. You got me up. You keep me up in this calling. And, And Moses leaves it there. Two things that when you're in the middle of a conflict like this in your Christian life, a couple good sayings. They're not from the Bible, but but they don't violate the Bible. And, And here's one I like. I have rarely regretted something I didn't say. I've rarely regretted something I didn't say, especially 
in a heated situation like this, I have regretted many times what I have said in the middle of a situation like this where I have felt I've got to rise up and, and defend myself in some kind of way. I shouldn't say that's happened many times. It, it hasn't, but I, it, one word is too much. The second one is it, 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 uh, saying, uh, goes something like this. Uh, view every word as a flat tire. You get four. And then clam up and let the Lord uh, be, be your defense. And so here is, is, is Moses. He really re- leaves it. Uh, with the Lord. Now listen to what the Lord says to them. And then he said, Hear now my words. You could circle that my, at least in your mind. He's been listening to their words. <laughs> and boy, those are the most important words in the whole world, aren't they? Yeah. And what do you think, Miriam? Well, you know, what I think is like, and they look like that. Look like this. It's what that face looks like. And Aaron, what do you think? Well, I think So they've done a lot of talking. So God says, well, I've listened to a lot of your talking here. Now, hear now my words. I'll tell you how I see Moses and how I see your complaints against him. He said, if there's a prophet among you, and Miriam was a prophetess, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. And, uh, and so I speak to him in a dream. That's how I communicate typically through a prophet. Dreams and, and visions. Kind of distant. It's a very powerful and wonderful way to communicate, but it's, it's, it's got some distance to it. But he said, not so with my servant Moses. And that, now this, God's claiming Moses as his servant here. That their hearts have to be sinking here. Then notice the next thing he says. He is faithful in all of my house. You got a beef with him? I got no beef with him. No beef with, my, with Moses. If anybody's been faithful among the children of Israel, <coughs> Aaron, what business do you have in the light of your past? Leading this rebellion? Miriam, gift of, prophet, uh, of a prophetess? What business do you have, you know, coming against him in the light of the intimacy of how I communicate uh, to him? He said, he's faithful in all of my house. I speak to Moses face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. And so Moses, uh, God declares concerning Moses, I speak to him directly, face to face. Now we know that God is spirit, and you can't see uh, him face to face. So he's using language talking about the most intimate kind of communication and relationship that a person can have uh, with God. I mean, the, when God gave... Moses, the law, when he gave him revelation to do this and to do that, there were no visions, no dreams. It was just pure, crystal clear, unmistakable revelation that came uh, from uh, the, the intimacy of his relationship uh, with, with the Lord. And then he challenges him in, in light of, of all of this. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses, why weren't you afraid to do what you just did in this 
whispering campaign that that you had uh, begun. He's my choice, and I like that. My servant Moses there in verse 7. My servant uh, Moses there uh, in in verse 8. In other words, God's saying, he's my choice, and that's all that matters. He hasn't done anything I didn't call him to do. So why then weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now you put yourself in their shoes and that you start sweating bullets about right there you know and he's saying you should have been afraid he's not your younger brother he is my servant now i know full well and, and i think it's fun this, you know these anytime sunday morning sunday night but i think it's fun on the sunday nights just kind of talk as a family i know full well there are abusive leaders in the body of christ i know there are popes and potentates and uh, power-hungry egomaniacs. And I know all that goes on. I know that people get hurt uh, by those kind of leaders. So I'm not saying that doesn't, uh, doesn't happen. And I know there's a lot of people that hide behind that passage there in Psalm uh, 105, verse 15, that says, Do not touch my anointed ones. And you'll sometimes that, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed. And anybody makes a peep, you know, Well, he stole a million dollars. I mean, don't touch God's anointed. So, you know, this kind of stuff, it, I mean, it, it, that, that, that goes on. And, and there's that defense, you know, don't touch the Lord's anointed and, and all of that, that kind of stuff and people hiding behind it. But the fact of the matter is, it's a very serious thing to attack a leader in the way that they do. And many, many people do it today. They think nothing of destroying a church, nothing of destroying a work of the Lord you know, in, in order that they might gain power or to destabilize a situation that they might rise up in. And, and every leader in, in a church, every pastor, every elder certainly, is vulnerable to this kind of grumbling, this kind of complaining. They don't like, you know, why would God choose them? And, and uh, now see, the advantage that we have today is, I remember when Karen and I, we moved to Modesto in 1985, we got a little welcome wagon uh, packet. I wonder if they're still doing that. <laughs> you know, they, I hope they had um, 150,000 of them to give away in the last uh, 20 years. city's grown, hasn't it? But we got this little welcome wagon packet, and it listed all of the churches in town. And I started to count all those churches. You know how many churches I counted? 130. I said, God, you've sent me to a town with 130 churches? What in the world am I doing here? So, but, but the, um, there was a point here, really, in, in, uh, in, in, all of, uh, in all of this. So, give me just, uh, just give me a half hour here on that. I'd like to, maybe something on that fiddle, just for, fill the time here for a, a moment. So, but, but the fact of the matter is, is, is that a, a pastor is, is very vulnerable to this kind of thing. And that's why the Bible gives some, uh, gives some protection uh, to them, special protection uh, against these kind of accusations. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except 
from two or three witnesses. Because a person can go out and slander and say anything they want. Nobody knows it's true, but you get two or three witnesses, eyewitnesses to what happened. Now you can establish the facts. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly and love for their work's sake. Be at peace with one another. So there's that special protection. Now, back to 1985. What I was meaning to say there was this. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't lose it again. But today, if somebody's got a grumble or a complaint, they say, I don't like this guy, I don't like that person, I don't like the... What are they? There's a zillion churches, other churches to go to, where a person can go and say, you know, I feel God's Spirit here, and I feel that this is where I can be constructive. There have been a handful of times through the years, not very often, but where I've spoken to someone who's just a chronic complainer. They don't like anything. They don't like anything that's going on. And, and, and not just one thing, you know, that maybe uh, some one issue that they'd like to change. And we look at it and say, you know, you could go either way on that, but we're, we feel we're supposed to do it this way, you know. But we see what you're saying, and you're just going to have to get over that. Or it's going to kill you. Um, but where they just want to complain about anything, and I just say, go find a church that is what you, you can agree with, and then go be a blessing in that. Just head off and, and be a part of that. So a person could change churches. Here, it's all one church. Nobody can leave. And, and so Moses is in kind of a, of a unique situation in, in all of this. Well, the Lord, he, uh, it, we're told in verse 9, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. So he's really upset with them, and he just leaves. And then uh, when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Now that's a serious case of leprosy. Your skin turned white as a leper. And then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Now, striking her with leprosy is, this is poetic justice. It is just the most perfect thing that God could have done to a, a complainer and to a uh, whisper campaigner, you know, that she, she was. Leprosy would isolate you. It was God's, God could use it as a means of isolating you from everyone else. If you had leprosy, no one who didn't have leprosy wanted to get near your uncleanness. So it would, it would automatically uh, isolate you from all non-lepers, all non-complainers, uh, in this case among the children of Israel. And so he just looks, and, and God is in essence saying as he strikes her, I mean, he could have done a lot of different ways to judge her, but when he judges her as a leper, he's, he is in essence saying, you are an unclean influence among my people. You're, what you brought here and what you've done, is, is, it's unclean, and I want people to see you as a leper and to keep their distance from you unless they contract your disease of leprosy or your you know, disease of, of complaining here and, and rebellion. And that's what complaining rebellion is. It's a, it's a spiritual disease. And so it would have, it would have separated her from, from being any further uh, influence. And, and so God's, it's God's way of, of just saying that kind of person is defiling. That kind of person is, uh, is, is a complainer. That kind of person is, is going to make you unclean. Keep your distance from them. Keep your distance from all complainers, but especially leaders who are, are complainers. And so, boom, he puts her into 
um, uh, isolation and, and separates her from, from everyone else. Now, uh, additionally, uh, what God is doing in striking her as a leper is uh, he simply makes her outwardly unclean. He's looking at her and what's inside of her, and it's so unclean to him. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let everyone see uh, you outwardly for what I see you are inwardly. Is, is completely and incurably unclean. And so he smote her and became uh, a leper. Now, I think a, a second reason for striking her as a leper here and the severity of the judgment that he meets out upon her was doubtless to communicate to everyone else in the camp of Israel that I have chosen Moses over Miriam and don't join Miriam in her rebellion against him. And so that, was, that would put a stop to this, nip it at the bud, this rebellion that was coming against Moses. So God knows how to, you know, put those kind of, of fires out. Now notice Aaron. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord. Ah, there's a little humility. <laughs> There's moments before he's wanting to compete with him. I want to be the Lord. I want Moses to call me my Lord, you know. And God just steps in. God knows how to humble us. I mean, I, I, now, humbling is something I know a great deal about. God knows how to humble us. And, and, and here is Aaron. He gets humbled here. And he, he cries out to Moses, Oh, my Lord. I mean, there's brokenness. There's humility here. He's not fighting for the top spot anymore. He said, Please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly. So this is the confession of sin we've done wrong against you here in which we have sinned. And so as he confesses his sin to Moses, now that's where cleansing begins. When we've done wrong to somebody else. James 5.16. Confess your trespasses one to another. And that doesn't mean, yes, I'll be happy to confess your trespasses to everybody else. It means that when I've sinned against somebody and I've done them wrong, then I go to them when I realize, wow, I was wrong. I thought they were wrong. And I go to that person and say, I have sinned against you here. And to ask Ask for your forgiveness. And uh, how often I think the Lord works in a situation in, in such a way where he forces the accuser to humble himself and then ask forgiveness of the person that they've slandered. Now that can take years, but the Lord is, uh, can be very, very faithful to do that. Now, uh, it, 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 notice as he, he, he continues his prayer, we've sinned. Please do not let her be as one Dead, her flesh is half consumed, uh, it, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Now, when a baby comes out of the mother's womb, well, they've they got all that white goop on them, don't they? Now, what, there's a medical term probably for that white goop. Does anybody know what that is? Any medical professionals? Or it's just like, like white goop. They just, here comes a baby. Hey, somebody get that white goop off that baby. They're all coming out like this. Okay, so there's no technical thing. All right. What is it? Okay, one, just one real loud right over here. I know we got another. What's it called? Vernex. Oh, nobody's writing that down? <laughs> like, the, like there's two people in the whole room that knew that? And you're just... Vernex. Of course it's Vernex. Crossword puzzle, you know, how many letters? The white goop on a baby when it's born. 
ate a cross. So, but they come out. Now, this tells you the degree to which uh, she had the leprosy. I mean, her skin is already caking and flaking off this, this white. She has a very, very serious uh, uh, covering of, of this leprosy. And Moses then, he cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Now, now would you do that? Or would you say, Oh, man, I'm just enjoying this a little bit too much at the moment. You're going to have to give me about 48 hours to lift that prayer up to God. And he doesn't do it. And this speaks about his brokenness. When God does something, when, when people do something wrong to you and I, and God, boom, puts them in the crusher and takes care of business on things, and they come back in a brokenness and humility and they ask for forgiveness, and they ask you to pray for them in their situation, it is very important that we do what Moses did here, and that is we step up and forgive them that they can't do any more than what they've done there, and step up and then extend forgiveness to them and then to pray for them. When God defends us and our reputation and His calling on our lives, then that's not a thing where we dig in and now we say, all right, you want to know power? You want to know authority? You want to know what it is to really be done in by me? I know how to do it and I'm going to make you pay. Now that puts you in the doghouse. And Moses doesn't do that here. Moses comes back and he just lifts a prayer up. And, and uh, like Jesus said, speaking to us, we need to pray for our enemies, those who despitefully use us and persecute us. That's exactly what he does here. Very, he's just a New Testament Christian there in verse, uh, verse 13. And then the Lord said to Moses, if, I, uh, if her father had but spit on her, uh, in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. And uh, so uh, the Lord uh, speaks about this action that Miriam had taken, and the Lord wants to really drive home this point with her, what, what she's done here. And, and this this. Uh, action that she's taken against Moses here, I mean, it's really going to be a stain on her reputation uh, in, in, in the Bible. I, I just, I know, I know there can be problems in churches, and I know that there are problems that require godly men and godly women who really don't want to do it, but God has called them to step up and help make something right that is wrong and to navigate a church through bad leadership. So I know that 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 kind of thing happens. But let me say this. You never, ever, ever want to be guilty of having led a needless revolt among the body of Christ that threatens some work of God's Holy Spirit through a church. That is a, that's a stain and that's a reputation. When a person is doing that for power and all those things, that's a stain and reputation that a person can end up carrying their whole life. It's just so important to run away from, from this kind of, of thing. So she was to be put out of the camp 
for seven days as unclean, then she could be received into the camp again. Now, with this whole spitting in the face kind of thing, uh, what's God talking about there? In that Middle Eastern culture, uh, to spit on someone, that was the highest insult. If somebody came and just spit, they could not... They could not curse you. They could not do anything more of an insult than to do that. That's why, the, the, uh, uh, as, we, as we look at this week, as we're heading toward the, the, contemplating the cross of Jesus and, and all that he went through, on, on, uh, speaking about Good Friday and even before he was nailed to the cross, by the time he got there, he was not only, the Bible says, was he covered with his own blood, he's covered with a Spit of men. You ever had anybody spit on you? I had somebody spit on me one time. And I don't know who won the fight afterward. And have somebody spit on you. It's just and here's Jesus comes in and he endures all of the shame, all of the mocking, all of the beatings and all the things. And think about that. Individual human beings coughing up spit and spitting on them. Wow. I mean, the love of Jesus, not to have just wiped the whole scene out in an instant with a word, is just the worst insult that you could, you could do. And, and, and so Jesus, the Lord is saying here that for a father... Uh, to do that to a daughter, and obviously the daughter here in the whole context is a daughter who's brought great shame on the family. So she's brought great shame on the family through some sin of her own. Miriam has brought great shame upon God's family and what she's done here. And, and, uh, and so here is a, a, a daughter brings great shame on the family. The father spits in her face is, is an insult related to what she's done to the name uh, of, of the family. That would have resulted in, in her being shamed in the eyes of everyone in the family for seven days before the family could come back to normal. Now, in the same way, Miriam, she's brought great shame upon the Lord, upon Moses, upon the family of, of God. And so it seems like God healed her of her leprosy uh, immediately. She was cleansed of that, but she was to bear some shame for her actions for seven days before she could be restored back into uh, the family. And I think, again, that she was healed instantly here, but this was uh, 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 a public shaming on, uh, of her to demonstrate to the whole nation that Miriam forced God to choose between her and Moses, and God chose uh, Moses. And, and uh, so we, we read here, then the, uh, verse 15, So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. Her rebellion, her revolt, um, uh, stopped the progress of, of all of God's people for seven days. They're making their way to the promised land, and this whole dumb thing that Miriam and Aaron does, it keeps everyone seven days longer from getting to, to the promised land. And you look at, and I think the lesson, the whole thing of, is, is, is God looks down through the history of his people, through the Old Testament, and then on into the New Testament. You look at how many rebellions of Miriam 
And how many rebellions of Aaron have stopped the progress of entire churches? Not for seven days, but for weeks and for months and for years. And in some cases, entire churches disappear under the weight of that kind of selfish ambition and rebellion. It affects so many people. And then... uh, the afterwards, verse 16, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And so we'll stop there tonight and uh, we'll pick things up in verse 13. Now, I've told you for a couple of weeks that we're going to get to this really significant event and uh, we will get to it next week. But all this kind of leads up to all of it. So we'll hit that, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday night. Uh, Easter Sunday night, the most lightly attended Sunday night in the whole year. So this is a gift I have, and um, uh, we don't we don't plan it. It just happens that way. So we'll stop there and pick up this uh, very very significant thing. But all this really lays a foundation for what is going to happen. And so what happens in chapters 13 and 14 doesn't happen in a uh, in a bubble. Uh, it, it, it is something that, that the people got to that place because they weren't listening to what God was trying uh, to get through to them. So um, that's what we'll do.